Well, good evening, guys. It's a great joy for me to be back here with you at CE. Some of you were probably maybe not even born the last time I was here. I don't know about that, but I was here maybe five or so years ago, so you were definitely, you were definitely born. But it's great to be back, and uh, I think about you often on a Saturday night. Not you personally. I don't want you to think that's weird or anything, but I think about CE and uh, this group that gather here and, and pray for you, and uh, I'm thrilled to be able to come and uh, spend a wee bit of time with you tonight. Now, I know that you're thinking about, some of you be thinking perhaps about uh, a bit of a football match that's going on, and we're going to see the second half, God willing, um, uh, just presently, so we look forward to that. But tune in with me as we, as we think about these things that we're looking about tonight. Now, I think there's a, is there a control for me to advance the slides? Right, great, here we go, here we go. So let's go for that first slide, and as we do so, let me ask you, let me ask you, who would you rather be? Now, the girls are thinking, well, I'd rather be neither, to be honest. Um, <laughs> obviously, you don't want to be either of these blokes. Uh, but gender aside, forget the, forget the, the gender that these are, happen both to be men. Um, I would guess most of us, without a blink of an eye, would instinctively prefer to be, or at least to be with, the guy on the left-hand side. And maybe some of the girls would very much like to be with the guy on the left-hand side. I don't know. None of us would want to be that poor guy on the right-hand side of the picture. In fact, if I had just shown you the picture of this evidently wealthy, successful young guy on the left-hand side, if I'd just shown you that, marketing experts tell us that something would have triggered in your head and you would have had a sense of, this is an aspirational picture. This is the kind of person that I want to be or to be with. And as we look at him you probably agree that his image represents the epitome of success. He just looks as if he doesn't come from Glasgow, doesn't he? I mean, just, he just looks, he's like a Portadown guy. He just looks as if he's got, he's got everything going from him. This is a, a picture of success and wealth and style and probably a bit of power socially that goes with these things. And it's the type of picture that our our culture is bombarded with. You see it in the magazines, you see it on the bill posts, you see it online when you're trying to order uh, something totally different. These images of success and wealth and power and prowess come up trying to get us to buy in uh, because we're in a culture that's fixated on the pursuit of popularity and amusement and happiness that success and wealth and power are said to bring. Now, these two guys that we're looking at tonight, these are obviously fictitious characters. Well, they're, they're real people, uh, but they're fictitious to what I want to say. But they represent, I think they visually represent the two real-life people that we've just read about in Mark chapter 10. Again, I guarantee all of you know this story. In fact, if you've done Christianity Explored, uh, you definitely know this story because we talk about this on the course. But I want to take a slightly different look at it with you tonight at CE. And as we think about these real-life characters, not the ones on the screen, but the ones that Jesus met, who were kind of like these guys, who encountered the Lord Jesus, and their experience of him is recorded for us here in uh, Mark chapter 10. First of all, I want us to think about this rich man. Verse 17 tells us that as Jesus was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit? Very important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Now, this man had almost missed his opportunity to speak to Jesus. The Lord Jesus was on his way out of town. Uh, and so this man makes his approach urgently and respectfully and expectantly. There's a kind of urgency about him because he has something pressing on his mind. I'd say he's unusual in that respect. I don't know what you think. I think he's unusual in that he actually sees beyond this life, albeit as we discover he had a very pleasant life. But he looks beyond these days of his life and he wants to know how he can be sure that he's going to live forever in a good place. It's interesting. When there's that reality that's on your mind at all, do you ever wonder what life beyond this life will be like? Do you ever wonder, for sure, are you going to go to a good place at the end of this life? I find that many people are perfectly happy nowadays with the life that they have. And when we talk to them about the gospel of the Lord Jesus and how that transforms what happens not only in this life, but at the end of this life, I find amazingly people nowadays are pretty bold in saying, I don't really care what happens to me at the end of life. I've had a good life and you know everything's worked out okay and I'm not really that bothered about what happens at the end of life. It's an astonishing thing. And as I look out on you tonight, I, I, you know, it's an amazing thing. I, I want you to know that you're not just a body. You're not just flesh and blood. In fact, that's the wrong way to put it, really. We think we're doing well if we persuade people that they have a soul, which you definitely do, the eternal part of you. But actually, there's a better way to put it than that. It's not that you are a body who has a soul. It's the other way around. I would love you to remember this. And think about your life this way. You are actually a soul who happens to have a body for a short period of time. It's totally different, isn't it, when you think about it that way? It's not that you've got a body and I've got to remember I've also got a soul. That's, that's not the real you. The eternal you created by God in the image of God means that you are a soul and you happen to be, for a short time, relatively, a short time in a body. And when you get that into your head, it changes everything. It changes how you think about your body. It changes what you do with your body. It changes how you live in your body. Because the real you is not the body. You're only in there for a short while. And then one day your body's going to be, if your trust is in the Lord Jesus, it's going to be gloriously resurrected. And we have an amazing future for our body as well as for our soul. But to be human is to be a soul, is to, be, is to exist for eternity somewhere. And the question is where? And this guy wants to know how he can live forever and be certain that he's going to experience eternal life, not eternal death in hell. Now, maybe you're not all that bothered by that question. Maybe you say, oh, no, we get this every week at CE. I don't really need a guy to come from Glasgow. In fact, I don't need a guy to come from Glasgow for any reason, but I certainly don't need someone to come and start to jab me up about this business about where I'm going to spend eternity. Well, even if it's not your question, I would love you just for the sake of this wee while that I'm standing up here tonight. I've come a long way. Come on, play, play ball with me. I'd love to make you to make it your question and just roll with me on this because this guy makes his approach urgently and respectfully. He kneels, he addresses Jesus as good teacher, and he wants to know how to, how to inherit eternal life. Now, 
this is what Jesus picks up on. This business of the man addressing Jesus as good teacher. That's what Jesus picks up on in verse 18. It's a confusing wee story, this. You've got to be got to keep your wits about you, which is very hard for me because I have very few wits. But I'm keeping all of them on this tonight with you. Verse 18, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, I don't know if that, you say, what is going on? What is going on? Why is Jesus saying that? Does that mean Jesus isn't God? Is he admitting here that he's not God? And I don't know if you have some of the cults coming around your door. They'll point you to this verse and they'll tell you, see, even Jesus claims he's not God. Oh, well, we better have an answer to that. Of course the Lord Jesus isn't denying that he's God. Rather, what he's doing is he's answering the man according to his approach. This man barrels up to Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus says, hang on a wee minute. He didn't actually, but effectively that's what he's saying. Hang on. Kill your jets. Who are you calling good? If I'm just a teacher, if that's who you see me as, if I'm just a, a man, you need, to, you need to be very careful how you define that word good. The rich man sees Jesus as being just a good man. And Jesus considers that this is such an important issue to understand that he doesn't even qualify his own perfection or his own deity. He doesn't even do that. He just wants the inquirer, this guy who comes to him, to understand that though we bandy the word good about all the time, did you have a good meal? Was it a good day? Is he a, is he a good guy? Is she a good girl? We use this word good all the time. And Jesus says, although we use it like that in relation to people, he wants us to know that when it comes to issues of eternal life, in the truest sense, in the final analysis, Jesus says of those who we would call good, no one is good but God alone. Who's the person you think is a really good person? Is it Henry? Is it Gilly? I think they're good guys. They're good guys. Prayed with your prayer team tonight. They're good the, the, the young men and women in that team. Good people. You know them better than I do. I would say they're good. But actually, actually, Jesus would say, no, hold on. It's really important for us to understand what we mean by good. No one is absolutely, finally, perfectly good but God alone. So Jesus is taking an early opportunity to define his terms as this man comes to him. And he establishes a base for a conversation on the fact that there is a true, perfect, invariable, unpatchy goodness. We don't know anybody like that. But there is, that does exist, and it is only found in the living God says the Lord Jesus. And then notice that as he approaches Jesus expectantly, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He expects to be able to do something to inherit, to be in line to receive eternal life. And again, Jesus does the same thing. He takes him on at the level that he approaches him with. If he wants to do something to earn eternal life, if he wants an answer to that particular question, then the answer has to be better than good. 
He has to be perfect. So the Lord Jesus says in verse 19, you know the commandments. You know how God has told you to live. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the Lord Jesus quotes six out of the ten commandments there. And they are the six that have to do with how we treat other people. That matters to God. How you treat others matters to God. And this guy turns and says to Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a youth. Since before I started going to CE, I have kept all six of these commands. Turns out they had been a respectful, honest guy all his days. And he treated other people well. It's quite unusual, but that's true. And Jesus found him genuinely pleasant. Verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him. That's an amazing verse. So Jesus looks at this guy and there is something really lovable about him. He looks at him and he loves him and he says, do you know what? There's one thing you like. Now at that point, the guy's heart must have been just beating for joy. What must I do to inherit eternal life? They go through the whole thing of the commandments. The Lord Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, listen, it's just one thing. One thing? Oh, that's amazing. Are you preparing for exams just now? Imagine, imagine going in to speak to your teacher in your worst subject and you say, oh, I'm panicking. I've been up. I've studied for oh, a good 20 minutes last week and I'm really panicking now. I don't, know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember it all. Imagine if your teacher said, listen, there's just one thing. You'd be doing cartwheels around the room. You'd be so excited. Jesus says to them, one thing you like. Oh, tell me anything. I'll do it. This is amazing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Complicated passage this. You don't hear Jesus disowning his own deity. You don't hear Jesus saying that he's not God. And now you don't hear Jesus saying, you can do something in order to be saved. You can earn your own salvation. He is taking this man down the dead-end road that the man thinks is a six-lane motorway. This man thinks, I can do something. I can inherit. Jesus says, let's take a walk down that lovely road that you're talking about there. I want you to see what a dead-end it is. And we've got to feel it. It's an amazing thing when people begin to get this sense in their heart. What's going to happen at the end of life? What's going to happen to me? I need to be ready. What should I do? The tragedy is that it's often it's often joined with a sense of, I've got to be able to do something. I've got to earn it for myself. And often we've got to take them down this dead-end path to show them. Jesus doesn't want his money. In fact, if you look carefully, he tells the man to go and give the money to the poor. The Lord Jesus isn't going to profit one penny from this if the guy does what he says. He's not like one of the dodgy preachers, of whom, sadly, there are many who are just in it for their money. The Lord Jesus wasn't in it for the money, goodness. Though he was rich for our sakes, he became poor. So never think that about him. And notice that Jesus does not want to make the guy poor. That's not the aim. He says... If you come now, you'll have treasure forever in heaven. So much more than you've got just now. You're going to have treasure in heaven. And you're going to have the joy of my company now. Come and follow me. 
So Jesus isn't looking to impoverish the guy. Jesus is looking to immeasurably enrich the guy. But the main thing we have to understand is that Jesus is not saying that giving your money away guarantees you eternal life. No, Jesus has said that keeping the commandments perfectly is what you have to do if you are determined that you are going to earn, be worthy of eternal life. And this guy claimed that he kept them all since he was a wee guy. So now by telling him to walk away from his wealth, give it to those who don't have any, and follow Jesus. Jesus is giving this man an opportunity to do something. I wonder if you can see what it is. He's just said to Jesus, I've kept all these commandments since I was a boy. Well, there was six commandments there, but there are another four. And they're the four that don't deal with how we relate to each other. They're the four who deal with how we relate to God. And you may know the first one is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and strength, and have no other gods before him. Do you remember that? So Jesus is giving this man an opportunity now to go and keep all the commandments perfectly by applying the first two. Give the money away to show that you don't worship anything other than the one true God. And go and give it to the poor to show that you love your neighbor as yourself. Here's his big moment. One thing you like, son. One thing, anything, I'll do it. That's what you've got to do. Here's his big moment. He can prove that there is nothing before God in his life. He can prove that he does not cling to or worship anything or anyone other than God. And if he does this, he will have Jesus now and treasure in heaven. But something's wrong. Verse 22 disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, it turned out that Jesus was doing a bit of a diagnosis on him. He walked him down what Jesus knew was a dead-end road that this man thought for sure was a six-lane highway. Jesus had walked him down until they came to the brick wall at the bottom of the road, and he brought him to realize, no, you, you can't do this. It turns out he wasn't as perfect as he claimed. It turns out that however well he related to his fellow men, at that very moment he was not relating very well to the living God. There was a God, a small g God, before the true and living God in his life. There was something he wanted more than eternal life with Jesus, and so he went away full of sadness. There he goes, wandering away from the faith, wandering away from the source of his own, wandering away, and the, the source of his own sorrow is his inability to see what matters eternally. Never in a million years would we have said that what he did was an evil thing because he's such a nice guy. But actually, I want you to know, young people, that it is a wicked thing. That's a strong word, but it is an evil thing to turn away from the living God and to put anything in his place, to devalue his glorious presence in comparison to things 
even if we do it sadly and even if we do it respectfully to him. Who would have believed that doing well and getting a great job and loads of dosh and a great house and a great car and the best holidays and the latest gizmos and bags of money could make you sorrowful? Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that these things take control so much in your life that you cannot walk into eternal life in the presence of Jesus because they keep pulling you back? We sang at the very beginning, all the vain things that charm me most. Here are the vain things that were charming him most. You've just had a series in Ecclesiastes, and you've been looking at all the stuff that blows away. And people spend their life building up a collection of things that blow away. And this is what it was for this guy. He went away sorrowful. I wonder, do you believe that that is true of those even who have colossal wealth? you know who this is? Who's this? Somebody tell me, who's that? Shout out. Jim Carrey, is he, is he too old for the youngsters to know? Oh my goodness, I must be getting really old. I thought I was, I thought I was down with the youth. Well, Jim Carrey, a very, well, he was a very well-known actor, Hollywood actor, bit of a nutcase, but good actor. He said... He wished everybody could be wealthy and successful and famous so they would realize it's not the answer. Who's this? I'm still Jim Carrey. Just gone to sleep. <laughs> Who's this? Can we advance at once? Thank you. Who's this? Russell Brand. Russell Brand said that drugs and alcohol weren't his biggest problem. He said it was the emptiness inside that he used the drugs and alcohol to deal with that was his biggest problem. Can we move on again? Who's this? Matt Damon. He won an Oscar in his early 20s for his part in a film called Goodwill Hunting. And he said later he was so glad that it had happened early in life because feeling so utterly empty afterwards, he was glad he hadn't spent his life chasing success that meant nothing. He was glad it happened early. He said, can you imagine getting to 70 and finally winning an Oscar and thinking all your life that was going to be the moment of greatest achievement? He said, I'm glad it happened when it was 20 because it's totally empty. It's stunning, isn't it? Who would you rather be as this guy, can we go back to him? Thank you. As this guy walks away from the Lord Jesus and goes away to all his stuff, all his great wealth, who would you rather be? Well, how about this guy? One more. Thank you. How about this guy? As we hear his story, notice that Jesus again was heading out of town. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving, same as beginning of chapter 10 with our man, the rich boy, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. There could hardly be a contrast that would be greater between these two guys we're looking at tonight. Uh, one guy has riches, the other um, has rags. One guy runs up to Jesus, the, only, the other guy can only sit up. 
when he hears that Jesus is passing by because he's blind. And verse 47 of Mark 10 tells us that when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. All oh, the irony of this. Do you get irony? Oh, the irony is incredible. The vast majority of the people who encountered Jesus in Mark's gospel could see and hear and understand, but they didn't get who he was. It's incredible. The religious leaders are thick as short planks. Not because they're actually dense, but because they're spiritually blind and they see Jesus and they see everything that he does and they hear what he has to say and they sense the atmosphere of his presence, and yet they never make any progress in moving towards him. And yet, here is a man, and he is blind, and yet he gets it. It's absolutely thrilling. Our rich man ran up and called him good teacher, completely missing the point. Yet here is a man who has no sight, and yet he sees. He hears that Jesus of Nazareth is approaching, but that's not how he addresses him. He doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth. He says Jesus, son of David. He must have heard people talking, and perhaps he had heard the Old Testament being read about the promised messianic king who was to come, the true son of David, and this guy works out that he's found a match. This blind man must have heard the Old Testament read to him, must have had an idea what the Messiah would be like when he came. And then he's heard reports of Jesus of Nazareth, not being able to see him, but he's put it together in his head and he said, I've got a match here. I think I know who this is. How amazing. He knows who Jesus is. And unlike our friend earlier, this beggar has zero status. So he doesn't even draw any compassion. The crowd rebuked him. They told him to belt up. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you remember the rich man wanted to know what he had to do to inherit eternal life? But the blind man seems to know that he, does, he can do nothing to inherit what he needs. He knows that what he needs from Jesus is undeserved. He knows he needs mercy. And in verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. Oh, what news to receive. Can you imagine it? Would that be good news for you tonight? Would it be good news for you tonight if I could say to you, not knowing you, but you know all that's going on in your life. You know all the pressures and all the pains and all the joys and all the success. You know the whole deal. But would it be good news for you tonight if, if I was able to say, Listen, cheer up. Cheer up and get up. The Lord Jesus is calling you. Would that feel like good news to you? You know about yourself. He knows about you. But if I told you, knowing everything about you, he was saying, cheer up, get up. He's calling you. Would that feel like good news? Because he is. That's exactly what he's doing. Every time his word is preached, he's, he's speaking to people. This is, you don't hear an actual voice. You don't hear his actual voice. But as his word is opened, every Saturday night, every Sunday, you're in a place where the word of God is taught. The Lord Jesus is speaking. 
And this man was told that Jesus was calling him. He threw off his cloak and he sprang up and he came to Jesus. Have you got the idea of the contrast? The man with everything material goes away sadly from Jesus. The man with nothing materially comes gladly to Jesus. He brings nothing, which is exactly how Jesus wants him to come to him in the first place. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, I want to recover my sight. I want to be able to see. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now picture the scene. You've been blind all these years. So you maybe got a little bit of education at school if you went along, but you were blind. You couldn't see what all the other kids could see. Couldn't participate. And there might have been, you know, for this guy, there might have been a girl who was kind to him, helped him in some way, but he would never have been able to grow up and say, well, listen, can, would you like to go for a coffee or can we get married or something like that? He would never have been able to do that. He had no ways of making a, a living. There was no welfare state in these days. So his life has been on hold, and now he gets his sight. He can do anything. Now the doors have opened. He can do anything. He can go and track down that girl if there was a kind girl at school, if she's not married. He can go and find her. He can go and train. He can go and get the job he wants. He can have the life he wants now. But what does he do? He recovers his sight, and he follows Jesus down the road. Because he realized something awesome. He realized that the greatest treasure in this world is the Lord Jesus. And the film stars that I told you about, the pop stars I told you about tonight, they don't realize that, but they are telling you the same message. They're telling you that all these things that everybody's looking for is not the answer. Stop bringing the peace and the joy and the contentment and the satisfaction and the hope that it promises. It's not bringing the things that it tells you it will bring. It's bringing emptiness and frustration and confusion, disappointment and despair. Because the treasure that we all seek is actually the Lord Jesus. The rich man went away unchanged from Jesus. The poor man went away radically changed. Because Jesus was, was more precious than a life with sight and all that it held for him now. So which of these two would you rather be as I close now? Which of these two would you rather be? This is 2,000 years later. They've been dead for 2,000 years. These eternal souls have now been somewhere in eternity for 2,000 years. Who would you rather be now? But here's the thing. It's a fruitless question because actually all of us are both of them. All of us are both of them. Sitting here tonight, you're just like the rich young man. You've got a soul. You have concerns. But these terrible things that come into our life, that are beautiful, that are good, that are, that are honorable in their own right, but they, they come in and they make Jesus look like a poor cousin in comparison. And these things promise us 
all the happiness in the world. We're just like that guy. And at the same time, we're also just like the beggar. We have got nothing to bring. And if we think we have, we can't come. If we think we bring any of our achievement, if we think we bring any of our behavior, if we think we bring any of our command keeping, if we think we bring a pretty consistent Christian life, we cannot belong to the Lord Jesus. We simply cry out, Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, and he will do it. And the Lord is able to deal with people in the midst of that complex life. We're both men, all of us, men and women, young people tonight. We've got issues and parallels with both these characters. And that's why it was wonderful to sing, You, O Lord, who, O Lord, could save themselves? Nobody. You alone can rescue, Lord Jesus. You alone can save. So, so I'm praying for two things tonight. I'm praying that some of you will come for the first time and say, I am not just a body. I'm not just a body with a soul that I've got to pay a bit of attention to. I am a soul. I am going to live forever. I happen to be in a body for this season of time. And get ready for eternity with Jesus as you come to trust in him. That's the first thing I pray for. The second thing I pray for is if already you've done that and you belong to him, that you will never see anything as a greater treasure than the Lord Jesus. You'll be like this guy. That whatever opportunities and blessings you have in your life, you will enjoy them all only in the light of enjoying Jesus above and beyond everything else. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this well-known passage of your word. Thank you for the way that in your kindness you've drawn near and enables us to think about it tonight. Thank you for these terrific young people here on a Saturday night to hear your word. Please, Lord, infinitely beyond any human ability to connect with them, please do the work by the power of your Spirit. Waken them up to eternal realities. May they ask that first question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And may they hear the answer. Son of David, have mercy upon me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you went to the cross. You paid as you laid down your sinless, perfect life and took upon yourself the sin of all who trust in you. And there you bore it to death and you went to the grave and you conquered the grave and you're risen tonight. You're at the right hand of your perfect Father. You live in the power of an indestructible life. Thank you that you alone can rescue, but oh, can you rescue. We rejoice in this and pray that this would be a reality for all of us in the hall. For the glory of our Savior, we ask it. Amen.